who's the expert here, Pam? <laughs> I am now. Hey, everyone. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bears and Brews podcast. I'm Pam, and I'm joined, as usual, by Salome. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Good. So I was waiting for you to say that I didn't sound excited enough. Oh, <laughs> you're very excited. You've been yawning am... and... <laughs> no, I had a long day. I am very excited to be here. I love I love doing this and um, yeah, it's, it's a blast. I'm good though. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm a little sad because I won't be able to go into Yellowstone again for the season. Oh, yeah. I went on Friday, so that was good. Oh, good. But yeah, it was fun. And then I'm going to be down in Salt Lake uh, next weekend. And that's the last weekend that this entrance is open to the park. So I'm excited to be in Salt Lake, though. We'll try to like replicate Yellowstone. I could dress up the dogs as bears or something. One of your dogs is basically a baby bison. <laughs> he is a baby bison. <laughs> Yeah, I am really excited for today's episode because this was originally going to be our first non-bear episode. It's actually the only episode that you know the name of before it's published. Because I don't tell you the name. Oh, I just saw it on the podcast screen. But I actually, we were literally texting about coyotes and you mentioned kind of like, oh, this is what I'm thinking for coyotes. And at no point was I like, oh, that means we're doing coyotes today. <laughs> oh, yeah. So even when you drop hints, I'm still completely surprised each time. You're welcome. Well, before we get going into coyotes, um, the, our bear fact for today is that bears and coyotes evolved from the same common ancestor. Bear, not like wolves and coyotes, bears and coyotes? Well, Wolves did also, but it's the bear fact of the day, so I have to do a bear in there. No, I, I was just, I just said that because I was shocked that bears and coyotes would have a, would share um, an ancestor because they seem so different. It's a group of carnivores from about, they, they emerged about 52 million years ago, known as the Miocids, and they were like groundhog sized to like dog sized little carnivores groundhog yeah groundhog size and that's where a majority of our carnivores come from today are from the groundhog the carnivorous groundhogs yeah from the groundhog oh that's amazing i was just gonna say i can't think of any small carnivores but i i can it's that was just as like eve was trying to eat my microphone Oh, yeah, like a Wolverine, something like that. So um, I am drinking today Grand Teton Sweetgrass Pale Ale, which I have drinking on the pod before. I just happen to have some leftover from watching the game this weekend. That sounds amazing, actually. It's pretty good. What are you, what about you? I'm not actively drinking it right now, but I just finished uh, some, it's like a dragon fruit ginger drink. But it's not. Ooh, that sounds alcoholic. good. It actually was really, really good. I just got it on a whim at the store. It looked delicious, and I thought it was just going to be like dragon fruit juice, but it's like a mix. It's like dragon fruit and like acai and apple and ginger or something. But it's delicious. That I sounds really good. If I could remember what it was called. 
but (laughs) (laughs) all right are we ready for coyotes yes always all right so i said that this was going to be our first non-bear episode originally um, but i wanted to make sure i had time to finish a book i read and also i recently attended a seminar that was put on by rec safe with wildlife which is out of canada Mm -hmm. and a professor at the University of Calgary put on this seminar through Rec Safe with Wildlife. Um, her name is Shelly Alexander, and she is a coyote expert. So I want to make sure Ooh. there's so much cool shit about coyotes that I wanted to make sure this got the dedication and energy it deserves as we talk about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I feel like a lot of misinformation and unnecessary negative attention. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that's any predator, but coyotes especially. There's um there's a really amazing wildlife rescue called Save a Fox and they're based in I think it's Michigan. Yes. Have you seen them? They have the cutest I love them. Cutest videos and I, I love them. They bring a lot of attention to foxes, um, mink, uh, sometimes cats. They've rescued some cats. And then they also have at least one coyote. I want to say their coyote's name is Dakota, um, but she or he, I think I want to say she. Anyway, absolutely adorable. Um, So if you want a cute video of a coyote to humanize coyotes in your mind, absolutely look that up because (laughs) they're, they're amazing. And I don't know why they get the bad press that they do um but yeah they're fantastic yeah and you know this is probably a good time to bring up that this is going to be a two-parter uh so the first part is going to go over like some basics about coyotes some cool shit about them and the second part uh next week is we're really going to get into some myths and truths about coyotes uh how we can coexist peacefully why they get a bad rap all that sort of stuff because it is super important and a i don't want this to be a super long episode but i want to make sure again that i give it the time and effort and information that they deserve because over the last few Mm -hmm. years i have become so interested in coyotes like even just organizing how to do this episode was so difficult because of all the information that i have about them and so trying to kind of put what where what you know what to put in and what to not because there's they're just so fucking cool oh they are they're amazing and i'll probably well i might interchange the pronunciation from coyote to coyote just because sometimes i get lazy verbally but the original pronunciation from the indigenous peoples was coyote oh that's beautiful I don't, I don't want to do like appropriation by saying it like that and sound like a douchebag. So, but I will try to say coyote uh, to give it that tribute at least mm-hmm. as a white person. All right. So as usual, all of our sources will be in our show notes, but a, a couple sources that I want to just highlight from the get go. What really kind of compelled me to care more about coyotes and learn more about coyotes was actually another podcast. It's called Stuff You Should Know. It was like one of the original podcasts ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they do one called... I didn't know they've been around that long. I listened to them. 2009, I think, or 2011, like literally when podcasts first started going. 
Wow. Uh, this one is called How Coyotes Work. I think it's from 2021. <laughs> uh, and then also a book by Dan Flores called Coyote America, um, projectcoyote.org, which we'll talk about them more later as well. So the Wolf Connection podcast, which we have referenced before, um, episode 80 is called Project Coyote, Promoting Compassionate Conservation Nationwide. So give that a listen as well. So those are kind of some of my main sources slash inspiration. And then those as well as all of like the studies and the research and stuff like that will be in the show notes. Nice. So coyotes have been around for about 2 million years, or that's when they kind of evolved into almost what we know them as today. And they are actually endemic to North America. So they evolved here. And actually all canids are from what is now the Americas. So jackals, African dogs, like all that stuff, they're all from the Americas. Oh, wow. And actually, coyotes have been around longer than wolves and obviously dogs. Oh, really? Ah, very cool. Mm-hmm. I was, um, David sent me an article about like the first fox-dog hybrid, and I was like, well, that can't be possible. Um, and I, I was super confused about it. And it was that there's uh, there are species of like wild dogs in uh, like South America that to us look more like what we would think a fox would look like, but they are canids and one like mated with like a, some other kind of wild dog or something. Anyway. Yeah. Well, foxes are canids. I thought there were, they are, I thought there was something else. What am I thinking? No, they're canids. They can't crossbreed with coyotes, wolves, or dogs, but they're canids. Oh, they act, they act like a mix between a dog and a cat, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're a canine. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Interesting. So, like I said before, part two is going to be about like myths and things like that about coyotes. But one thing I want to bring up right away is the idea that they are all of a sudden living amongst humans. You know, we've seen probably in the last 20, 30 years a really big uptick in articles and news coverage of, you know, coyotes living in L.A. or Chicago or New York City, uh, you know, really in these urban areas. And it's almost always with the tagline of, you know, they're invading human spaces and all of a sudden they're showing up here and here and here. It's true that they weren't always on like the the far west coast, but we have fossil and anthropological evidence that they've always been living close to or even within human civilizations since humans had civilizations. So ever since humans, yeah, well, a lot of people, I didn't know that until very recently. Um, you know, humans have only been in the Western hemisphere for about 15,000 years. And going all the way back to that, there is evidence that coyotes were cohabiting in the same spaces. Mm. So it's not some new novel thing that they're doing. They have always been attracted to human civilization. And one of the reasons why is because one of coyotes main food sources is small rodents and mice and rats love to be around messy and wasteful humans. Mm. 
And so they have easy food sources and they're also scavengers. So, you know, back when we were all hunter gatherers, they would clean up the carcasses, eat the bad fruits and vegetables, you know, different things like that. So they've always lived alongside humans. This is nothing new. I think a big part of it is everybody has a camera and can take video and, you know, see and have ring cams and, you know, stuff like that to be able to see them. Yeah. They're aware of what's going on at night around their house. (laughs) But we'll talk in the second part about why them living amongst us isn't actually a bad thing and how we can help cultivate not just coexisting peacefully, but cultivate having the type of coyotes around us that we want to be around us. That, that'll make a lot more sense later. Um, but, you know, there's stuff we can do to make it so that these urban coyotes are not aggressive and they are still fearful and we never see them and they don't bother us. You know, those kind of coyotes exist and there are ways to make sure those are the ones that stick around instead of the other alternative. Mm-hmm. So coyotes have played a a really prominent role in indigenous people's history as well um, as, you know, most, I mean, all animals really. But I mean, there are so many ways that predators in general have been revered and respected and admired by the people who were here first. And coyotes are no different. Coyotes were really prominent in that kind of those religious type of spiritual ceremonies and beliefs, I guess is a good way to say it. Interesting. And actually, so coyotes used to actually be quite a lot larger, but there were a couple different factors that caused them to eventually become smaller, kind of the version of coyotes that we see today. So I said before that coyotes have been around longer than wolves. When wolves evolved and really started making an impact, they killed a lot of coyotes. They were a big, um, they were they were competition for these bigger food sources. And so the larger coyotes and more aggressive coyotes eventually died out mostly. And the coyotes that we have today, they have like filled a niche that's between wolves and foxes. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge ungulate extinction event. So a lot of that larger prey was wiped out. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of extinction events throughout history caused by multiple things. But um, yeah, so in this case, you know, they didn't have the prey that they had before. And then now there's wolves around that are, you know, wolves almost exclusively live in those family groups. And we'll talk about how, how coyotes are in a little bit, but, you know, wolves, wolves kill a lot of coyotes. And so these smaller ones that were just eating, you know, rodents, badgers, stuff like that. Wolves don't care about those kind of things. So yeah, they, they became smaller and smaller into what they are today. And they're, which is actually most coyotes are only about 20 to 30 pounds. So they're, they're pretty small. Wow. That's way, I was thinking like 40 to 60 at least. 
Like, well, that's... they can be in like the fifties on the East Coast and uh, the mm-hmm. Northeast, and it's hypothesized that this is probably because there's no wolves up over there. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. So not only do wolves keep coyotes smaller in size, but they keep their population small as well. And, you know, something that I've said for quite a long time is you don't like coyotes, quit killing wolves. (laughs) So that kind of brings us into their range. So originally they were just in like the Great Plains and the Southwest, but now they can be found from Alaska all the way down to Panama. Oh, geez. Yeah. So they're they're pretty much all over. And I think they're in like 49 states. Guess which one state they're not in. Okay. Is it Hawaii? It is Hawaii, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you asked me, I was like, maybe it's a trick. You know, they're just like not in Kansas or something, but somehow well, they got to Well, sometimes I like to ask trick questions and sometimes I, I like to ask easy questions that sound like trick questions. Yes. Just to throw you off. And and as we mentioned before, I'm, I'm fairly easily thrown off. So you could ask me about anything and get that same result. <laughs> <laughs> so one main reason, well, the main reason why they were able to expand so much is wolf eradication. Hmm. When Europeans came to America, they pretty much declared an all-out war on all predators. I mean, we've talked about it before with mountain lions with grizzly bears as they went west it was just all out killing but they had never seen coyotes before actually coyotes only live in north and central america so when those yeah so other forms of canids live you know they have wolves uh, all over the northern hemisphere Mm -hmm. you know not just not just here um So they thought they were foxes at first, like a weird kind of fox. But even way back then. Hey, we don't know what it is. Let's kill it. That's just the worst possible reaction to have. Yep. I mean, hey, that's that's humans and that's white humans. And I am a white human. (laughs) I mean, you don't generally just like walk out of your apartment and kill stuff. So I think you're doing pretty well. Dude, I don't even kill like spiders. I am terrified of moths. Which is the least terrifying thing they, ever? No, they're scary. Right? They're scary. The way Their they flap are so around big. and like, oh, it's, yeah, it's the their um their antenna, the like eyebrow yeah. antenna, like fuzzy. It's scary. It's yeah. the erratic flapping around that scares me, for sure. Actually, I meant to tell you when I was in Yellowstone on Friday. Guess what I saw? We've talked about them multiple times on the show. It's not bears. <laughs> Was it a beer? Did you see a beer? No, actually. Um, no bears, no beers. Moose? No. A wolf? No. <laughs> Is it like a stupid trick question? No, it's just obscure. It's one of grizzly bears' biggest food sources. Oh my God, a cutworm moth. Army cutworm moth? Yes. I saw army cutworm moths. Uh, I had one like pretty much land on me. I was out by. I totally forgot about this. Yeah. I was out by Sylvan Pass, which is on the east side of the park where there's a lot of that talus slope and rocky hillsides that those moths love. And I was just taken Did you in. scream? No, man. I, was, I, I wasn't scared of those ones. I was very excited. Oh, because you're like, you know the bears. Tell the bears this and I. Right. I was sitting on 
like a little rock barrier type of situation. And there was a little waterfall. Nobody else was around. So I was just kind of sitting there being calm and uh, enjoying the day. And then I just, and then these moths started to fly around and I was like, oh my God, those are army cutware moths. Yeah. I just felt very uh, excited. <laughs> and then I was like, where's a bear to come eat you so I can take pictures. <laughs> I love that they're not, they're, those ones are the ones you're not afraid of. Yeah. I'd, well, it could have also been because I was outside. I'm not as afraid of them when I'm outdoors either. So. Yeah. Cause it just kind of feels like they could just do whatever. Whereas inside it's like, it feels more like they're like, you know, going to in your face anyway so yeah so these european settlers came and tried to wipe out pretty much everything and coyotes weren't exempt from that but as we will see in a little bit coyote eradication efforts literally don't work and that's not just me as some old tree hugger saying that the science is there It, it literally doesn't work we've been trying for hundreds and hundreds of years And it hasn't worked. Everything else we've tried it with, it's worked. That's why we have the Endangered Species Act for things like bears and bison and wolves, uh, among other things. Um, But it doesn't work with coyotes. And we'll talk about why here in just a little bit. But when wolves and grizzlies were almost brought to extinction, it basically just opened up way more opportunity for coyotes. So they just spread into all these areas and they had no competition for food sources and no natural predators. So why the hell not? So there's several subspecies of coyotes and they have a pretty wide variety of morphological differences depending on where they live. So remember, morphological is just kind of their physical appearance and setup. So coyotes in the Rockies often get mistaken for wolves because they tend to be more gray in color and have really like puffy, thick coats. Oh, mm -hmm. so but the ones out east, they don't have as thick of coats and they're kind of a, a sandy reddish brown. And so without that coat, even though they can be larger, they don't look as large. Gotcha especially in winter. That makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about their habitats and such. So as evidenced by their range, they can live damn near anywhere. Mountainous areas, desert, prairies and grasslands, right in the middle of urban areas. And that is all thanks to their omnivorous diets and their adaptability. So their favorite foods are like rodents, rabbits, lizards. Um, They'll also eat like skunks and raccoons, uh, larger ungulates, deer, elk, Mm. uh, bighorn sheep like Charlotte and I saw. Um, They will help clean up carcasses. They also love fruits and veggies and actually we'll post a picture, but they will actually climb fruit trees and walk out on the branches. That's amazing. So there's like photos of coyotes out on these branches, like picking fruit, basically. (laughs) And they also love to take advantage of unsecured garbage and attractants. So, you know, I, I hope everybody is catching this common theme of humans are exacerbating and perpetuating a lot of these conflicts that we have with wildlife uh, because we can't fucking clean up after ourselves. (laughs) I am with you there, honestly, 100%. 
Okay, so we said on the Black Bear episode that black bears are like the ra- raccoons of the bear world. Mm-hmm. Um, coyotes are the raccoons of the dog world. Aww, I love that. And the, another thing, too, is they will hunt at pretty much any time. So don't think they're rabid if you see them out in the day. Like, that's just what the advantageous time for them in their wherever they happen to be you know so in some areas they will hunt more at night in urban areas they'll hunt more at night uh, when people aren't active and in rural rural areas in the wilderness uh, it's usually like dawn and dusk but middle of the day even for like urban coyotes is does not mean they're rabid and rabies is actually very rare in coyotes. Um, we're going to talk about it next episode, but there was actually an initiative where a rabies vaccine was dropped in bait for coyotes. So back in the day, we basically vaccinated a shitload of them and doesn't necessarily mean the ones now are protected, but what it means is there's not a rampant amount of rabies moving through the population because we literally vaccinated a shitload of them. Interesting. So most of them are monogamous and they will mate for life unless their mate dies. Aww. And they take really good care. Um, Charlotte and I were talking about Limpy, that coyote in Yellowstone, how he... Yeah. Yeah, he is such a rock star. He has chased away wolves from his den site. They were getting too close. And I saw some photos. Uh, They're not mine, so I'll see if I can get permission to share them. But um, he literally was chasing away fully grown wolves, like two to three times as big as him, on three legs, getting them away from his den and his pups. That's incredible. Um, Coyotes are very devoted parents and they are really they're really big on family Mm -hmm. (laughs) it sounds like a human trait but it's not um plenty of animals are really big on family including humans Mm -hmm. and actually before i forget we had a question from my friend casey about how far coyotes will usually travel from their dens and it really depends on the season, if there's pups in there, if it's the male, it's the female, whatever. But usually they won't go much more than about 10 miles from their dens. If they have pups in there, they need to bring back food. They would probably only go that far if there was no food closer. Um, So when they have pups, especially when they're new pups and the mom can't go out hunting, the dad isn't going to go very far unless he has to mm. to get food. So they really do like raise them together. They do, yeah. They, uh, they it's yeah. um it's a two parent situation, and they learn. They are super social, and they learn a ton of things from each other and from older coyotes. So they learn like the social skills. They learn appropriate behavior and kind of like learn the rules and this is what i think of like dogs when you're raising dogs you know that and and cats like when 
For example, when like fostering cats, it's helpful to foster like kittens together because they kind of teach each other boundaries and like what's appropriate and like, hey, like you shouldn't bite people in the face. Like um, just reminds me so much of like domesticated animals that we have, you know? Absolutely. And that's why you should not get a dog. If you do get a puppy, it shouldn't be any younger than eight weeks unless it's some medical situation or abandonment issue. But uh, any younger than eight weeks, preferably 10 or 11 weeks, because they that seventh and eighth week, they learn so much from each other. Mm -hmm. And same thing with wolves and same thing with foxes. So we see this pretty big with the canids. That's fascinating. Um, Did you name him Limpy? Or is that his like name that everyone calls him? Every everybody just calls him that. He's not trap. He's not like collared or anything, so he doesn't have an official name. Everybody just kind of calls him Limpy. I was just wondering if Aspen's okay with you calling him that, or if she knows that you. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, Aspen is my three-legged dog, <laughs> my Canis familiaris, my dog, dog. Uh, yeah, no, she's not offended. She's fine to share the limelight. Uh, yeah, so they're they're learning all these things, and this is one reason why going out and indiscriminately shooting coyotes is bad. Well, there's a million reasons why we'll talk about uh, next week, but one of the reasons is when you have these established groups of coyotes and you have these older ones who are teaching the younger ones, when you're out shooting that any any you know that breeding pair or these older coyotes that have you know things established uh they know what's up they're helping the younger ones that leaves a gap that those young immature ones fill and it's very chaotic uh it's a lot of a lot of the dynamic is in disarray and it leads to more human conflicts mm -hmm. so just one more reason why we shouldn't just be out randomly shooting coyotes uh yeah but so coyotes can live in a multitude of situations. So they can live in family groups like wolves do. They can mm -hmm. associate in packs with non-family members. Or most of the time, it's just the mating pair and their current offspring. Although sometimes like a yearling or two will stick around and help out with the pups, kind of like wolves do. They're so cute, but damn. So sometimes... Um, yearlings or even older coyotes will stick around with their parents and not actually help out and they just kind of hang around and do nothing what? they don't help hunt they don't oh, help people yeah but there's an they're more like us than we know do you want to know they have an official term for those kind of coyotes i want you to try to guess what it is is this by the same people that brought us limpy no this actual scientists call them this i don't know god i can't think of anything good what is it what is it slouches <laughs> they literally call yeah. these coyotes slouches <laughs> it's like i just imagine like some 40 year old dude playing video games in his mom's basement but it's a coyote <laughs> yeah like oh, the basement of the that. den <laughs> yeah uh so coyotes also um they have a mechanism called fission fusion and it's based on resources. So what that means is they can hunt solo or they will actually hunt in like pack. 
effects. So it depends on depends on food resources and populations. But if they live in an area where there's a lot of deer and not a lot of small animals, they will hunt in these groups almost like wolves and kind of share the bounty. Uh, but most, yeah, it's really cool. And and the same coyotes can flip back and forth, uh, which we also see in wild dogs, not like Af- not the other species, African wild dogs, like dogs that we domesticated that are now like wild. Um, we see that in them as well, where they actually don't live in some kind of hierarchical group. They will team up when needed. But otherwise, they're they're pretty solitary or just kind of hang out with their families. So pretty similar to coyotes in that way. Okay. So and they'll kind of swap back and forth. But if it's an area that has a lot of rodents, um, some of that, those small mammals, then they generally won't hunt in any kind of groups because there's no point, you know. And they're not going to get that groundhog or that marmot or whatever and then have to share it. Like it doesn't take two coyotes to get a vole, you know. Yeah. And a really cool fact about them, they have springs in their legs, which allow them to jump six feet. (laughs) Yeah, right. You're funny. No, they don't have springs in their legs, but they can <laughs> they can jump okay. six feet. Okay. I actually thought that you were gonna say, no, they do have some sort of like biomechanical like system in their legs that mim- like uh, you know appears to mimic like our modern springs, you know, something like that. Um so I actually really did think you were gonna say something like that. They can jump six feet? Yeah, without like running, just like from a standstill, six feet. Holy shit. They can, yeah. So this is why um, this is why they can just like hop over fences and things like that. They can also squeeze through as small as three inch gaps. That's insane! I don't believe you. This is a spring situation. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, but one of my favorite things about coyotes is their vocalizations. So they communicate verbally and physically. And with their vocalizations, they have about 11, 11 or 12 like main types. One of them is the only one I know what it's called officially. Mm-hmm. It's called the bow jest effect, um, which is where only a few of them, maybe one or two, will alter their different sounds and pitches to make it sound like there's a whole group oh, of them when there's really awesome. just one or two. <laughs> It's clever. It's so awesome. They literally create an auditory hallucination. That's insane. It's so cool. So sometimes, you know, if you hear a couple barking or whatever, and then you just hear a shitload, but they kind of all sound like they're coming from the same general area. It might be a bunch of them. It might be just a couple. Hmm. So do they do that to scare off like other predators that they're competing with? Yeah, they'll do it for that or a defensive technique. So I'm pretty sure Limpy and his mate were doing that when we were watching them with that mountain lion, because at some Mm -hmm. point they kind of walked behind this other ridge and we heard what sounded like six or seven coyotes. Nobody else was seeing any. And, you know, Limpy in general, it's just him and his mate. He doesn't usually hang out in any kind of group or pack. And so they went behind this ridge and it sounded like just, again, six or seven. And then they came back around. It was still just the two of them. And people that were parked on the other side of the ridge never saw any other coyotes either. So 
I mean, this is extrapolating quite a lot, but I wonder if, if they were trying to maybe scare the mountain lion away or at least defend themselves a little and try to deter the mountain lion from attacking them if he thought there was more than just them. Mm -hmm. And you say, you say mate, that's like, you know, his mate of probably quite a while, right? His wifey. Aww. Uh, another vocalization they have facilitates what's called demographic compensation. And I've, I've talked about this with you off the show quite a lot. I've just never called it by its official name before. So this vocalization is basically like a roll call for local populations. And this is where the demographic compensation comes into play. So if the population in the area is low, then the female will release more eggs to have more pups. If the population is stable or high, then she'll release less eggs. Mm -hmm. This is one of the millions of reasons why these eradication programs literally don't work. Uh, The more you kill them, the more they make. And when you have a coyote that has a litter of 12 pups because a bunch of coyotes got shot that year, now you have a much bigger pressure on the adults to get bigger game or more food, like a dog or a cat or whatever. They're going to get into a lot more trouble. I mean, there's we'll talk about that more next time. But just a little teaser, you know, this demographic compensation is one of the many, many reasons why this indiscriminate killing it just literally doesn't work. It, not only is it cruel, it's you know not based in any kind of scientific evidence or any kind of logic or reason. Yeah, you know, and and it literally makes things worse. Mm-hmm. But that's probably my favorite fact about coyotes is that they literally control their own populations. And, and what did you call it again? It had such an demographic compensation. Compensation. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and another reason why it becomes you know more problematic or or it gives rise to more coyotes when we're killing them is if you kill a bunch then there's a lot of resources around for all the new generation to get really populous right because there's a lot more food resources and so now you have larger populations of younger coyotes which is not good so you know, we'll get into it more next week. I want to try to stay somewhat on track. Um, but yeah, they will control their own populations. And if there's too many of them, they won't have as many pups. They won't have as much food to eat. They, you know, it, it will control itself like most things in nature. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to our threats. Humans. Humans, humans, humans. Uh, Humans are threats to every fucking living thing on this planet, including other humans. I think I've said that before almost verbatim. Mm -hmm. But humans in particular and coyotes, I mean, it's almost worse than wolves. And there's been these eradication efforts, you know, for, like I said before, hundreds of years. Like, why are we still trying those? Clearly just shooting them isn't working for whatever kind of fucked up goal those people are going for. Because we'll talk about it next week, but the reality of the situation is coyotes don't cause that many problems for pets, for humans, for livestock. Not near as many as our 
talked about. Mm -hmm. So we actually don't know how many coyotes are in North America because no one has ever cared enough to do any kind of consistent factual counting or even, and and it's hard because we might know, okay, well, there's this many in California, but we can't model California based on everything else for, you know, a lot of reasons, right? Topography, prey, human population, different things like that is all going to affect a a wild animal population. So we can't say, well, there's this many coyotes per square mile in Washington is entirely different than in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. because the state is so different. Oh yeah. So we don't know how many there are, but what we do know is that about half a million are killed each year. That's disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. And clearly it's not working again because there's still a shitload of them. So this is the sad part. Uh, I don't know if this deserves like a trigger warning or what, but I'm going to talk a little bit about, I'm I'm not going to go into it, but I'm going to talk about the ways that people kill coyotes. Um, And there's a lot of different methods, sadly. So poisoning. And actually back in the day, humans used to, and government programs would poison bait and just throw it outside. So it was not only killing coyotes, but anything else that maybe fed on the coyotes or found that that poisoned bait first. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's been huge sweeping eradication efforts throughout white history with coyotes in America. So poisoning, aerial shooting, which is gunning them down from either an airplane flying really low or a helicopter. Trapping, which as we've talked about before, is really dangerous for a lot of different creatures. Um, calling and shooting, that's where they will make call like the the quote unquote, I'm not even going to say hunter. The person doing the killing is sounding like a wounded animal to kind of call the coyote in and then they shoot them. That's so fucked up. I know. One horrible way that people will hunt them is with hounds, but they will re- have the hounds do the killing. So instead of sending them up a tree and shooting it like they would with like a raccoon in the south, the hounds catch up to it and rip it apart. Mm. Um, Legal and illegal hunting, bounties. uh, There are plenty of states, counties that offer money for every coyote that you kill, sometimes up to $2,000. Like, what are we using that tax money for? That could go to such better things. There's literally programs I hate that I would rather see it go to than that, if that makes sense. Um, Uh, Yeah. I'd rather it just go to something useless than something harmful and cruel and just fucking disgusting. Yep. Another thing is den eradication where they go in and completely wipe out all the pups and the mom. And they do that with wolves as well. One of the most horrible things that has originally started back in the day when money wasn't really big and there was a lot of trading and bartering, but killing contests and derbies and tournaments. There are literally in 40 of the 49 states that coyotes are in have killing contests or derbies or tournaments. And this is where money and prizes are given for the most killed in a certain amount of time, the largest, uh, the most unique for whatever reason, etc. And a lot of people think that those still don't go on. Uh, they absolutely do. They are absolutely a thing. 
And I have heard people, I had friends that lived in a shitty part of Nevada and I have personal experience with people who go out and participate in those things, not my friends. It was their neighbor. Um, and the way they talk about killing these creatures mm-hmm. is vile and disturbing. And nobody should get that much joy from killing anything. Anything. Absolutely. It's disgusting. <laughs> and last thing on all of the killing of them, there are taxpayer funded government programs. There's a section of the USDA that not a lot of people know about called wildlife services. Uh, it's a huge fucking joke that it's called that it's a bit of a clandestine department and their job is to literally kill predators and they have contracts with a shitload of municipalities around the country. So they poison, they trap, they shoot, they go in the dens, they have hounds, they shoot from planes. Our tax money is paying for that. And I, we will provide a lot of resources for how people can get involved. Um, But one of the ways is encouraging your local governments, whether that's state, county, city, whatever, to not award those contracts to that kind of predator control. Absolutely. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, I want to just, I don't know, like I just, I hear stuff like this and I just want to do something about it. So yeah, any information. Well, let's do it. Let's fucking do something, dude. Because... I, you know, there's, there's better ways to do it. And we'll talk a lot more about that next episode. So I do have some good news to end today's episode on. So some good stuff to end today's episode on. I don't want to end it on that shitty shit. But and I don't even want to talk about it. But the truth can be uncomfortable. And that's how we need to make changes. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was easy, if it was all fluffy clouds, all the time and sunshine, then we wouldn't be in these situations, yeah. right? So it's uncomfortable. It sucks to hear. It's shitty. Ignorance is bliss. We don't want to know about this mm-hmm. stuff. But we owe it to the planet and our co-inhabitants of the planet mm-hmm. to make a difference. Yeah. And I will get off my soapbox in a minute, but something that the Project Coyote people talked about on that Wolf Connection podcast, one of the things one of the um, people said was interest does not equal impact. And the Project Coyote website has a ton of resources for how to get involved. And this doesn't mean you have to give up a ton of time, a ton of energy or a ton of money. They what they really want to do is empower everyday people to make changes in the areas they can. So, you know, they're not going to say, oh, fly to D.C. and be a part of this protest. I mean, if you want to, you know, that's one thing. But it's very, um, very simple, very easy, very clear cut cut ways to get involved and make a difference that isn't going to take any kind of a huge investment on our part. Uh, and you know, that's, that's where we all need to start coming together. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when people say, Oh, someone should do something. We are that someone. I am that someone you are that someone. Mm -hmm. Everybody listening to this is that a lot of times there's organizations like, um, like you were talking about that have, you know, steps or programs in place that you can participate in. Um, 
And so it's like, if you want something done, find, find those good resources and get involved, you know? Um, Yep. And I'm going to give some of those resources here in just a minute also. Oh, yeah. And I think when, so I'm going to try to make it easy on everybody. <laughs> with a lot of animal welfare topics, there's a lot of people that think, oh, that can't possibly be happening. Or they think, well, that's the way that it used to be. You know, we kind of view them as like how they used to have like whale hunts. You know, right. we don't think about um, like I, like I've heard people um, have that reaction reaction if I bring up like animal testing. Um, you know, people don't really think that animal testing is done or don't understand the extent of it or that, you know, like beagles are still tested on, for example. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just I, I think there's a lot of it that it is uncomfortable. Um, it sucks to hear about it. But if you hear about it, if you know what's going on, you're in a better position to to then change it. And you, you can't unless you know what's happening. Um, so obviously we don't want to focus on the shitty stuff that's happening, but if we can educate ourselves and then move forward to action, that's the, the best way forward. Very well said. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So should we talk about some good news? Yes. Okay. So good news is they are very resilient. Uh, as we know, because we're killing half a million of them, and it's still not really reducing their populations. Again, that doesn't mean I just want to say stipulation there, if we stop killing them, that doesn't mean we're going to have 500,000 more a year. That means we are going to let their populations balance themselves mm -hmm. the way nature should. So yeah, I just want to say mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, it's not it's not as if nothing is preying on coyotes. I think people often maybe have a perception that like, like bears, you think of bears, as, I mean, bears would be considered like an apex predator, right? Bears are an apex predator, mostly because they don't have anything that preys on them. But like, as far as um, what was the, the survival rate for cubs? Or like first year cubs, like 40, uh, 50 percent or something? Yeah. So the first two years, it's 40%. Which is very very slim so i think uh, sometimes people think oh apex predator like they have no threats to them um or we or we need to like as humans become the threat to them but that's really not the case um you know there's other there's diseases that affect them uh you know differences in like food availability and climate affects them more than it does most humans because they don't have a house that they can just step into to like cool off or warm up or something. Um, sorry, I'm like babbling again. No, I love this. <laughs> keep going. Keep going, dude. I love it. Go. Keep going. But but yeah, it, we don't need to step in and become this artificial population control. Uh, nature has population control built in that is of the the non-human form. Absolutely. And we found a way to get around that ourselves as humans, but that doesn't give us any kind of right or dominion to control that for animals. And there are times when we need to increase or decrease populations. I'm not, I'm, I'm not necessarily against that, but this is not one of those times. And those times are, are the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. And there's also different ways of going about it if that has to be exactly done. Like not giving money to psychopaths that enjoy ending lives. Yes. Yeah. 
So they're also not on the endangered species list, which is fine. They're all over the place. But the only thing it says about coyotes is that we can't eradicate them entirely. But the problem is we don't even know how many there are. So there's really like there's no starting point. There's no ending point, except we can't kill all of them. Okay, great. Well, that's so fucking vague. So insert eye roll here. But Project Coyote has a couple programs. So they have one called Coyote Friendly Communities, where they work with local communities. In fact, there was one county in California used to have a contract with that USDA Wildlife Services. And um, the county said, when it came back up, they said, well, you have to try non-lethal stuff first. And the USDA Wildlife Services said, no, we're not going to do that. So I think it was Mendocino in California. They said, fine, we're going to work with Project Coyote and do their coyote-friendly communities instead. Nice. And... You know, that's the problem with the this USDA Wildlife Services. I mean, guys, USDA, that's the same people who regulate, quote unquote, puppy, quote unquote, regulate puppy mills. I mean, come on. There's no fucking regulation at all. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, they regulate puppy mills. They regulate bear world. Like, how the fuck is this their domain? Like, yeah, I mean, good question. Same thing with puppy mills and bear world. But guess what? They're on it anyway. Um, So, yeah, so coyote-friendly communities, and they also have one called Ranching with Wildlife. They have actually a couple different programs and a lot of good resources, but those two are uh, super beneficial for real-life, everyday stuff. Um, So a couple other organizations that are doing a lot of good work for coyotes, Predator Defense, Urban Coyote Research Project, Defenders of Wildlife, and like a million more. So there's, you know, there's plenty of people who care and are trying to do things, but we need to help. Mm -hmm. We need to help. And after next, after next week's episode, you know, I I will give all these resources on these show notes, but I think we're going to learn a lot of stuff next week about some, some more specifics, um, Yeah. So Oregon, so here's good news. So last month in September, Oregon just banned killing contests for not just coyotes or predators, but any native mammal that isn't already protected. Oh, good. So no bounties. Yeah, no bounties, no tournaments, no killing contests uh, for any mammal in the state that is native, that is not on the endangered species list or otherwise federally protected. Way to go, Oregon. But shitty thing, mm-hmm. I know, right? But shitty thing is they're only the ninth state to do that. Mm-hmm. So Arizona, California, Colorado, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Vermont, and Washington. So that doesn't mean there aren't other legal coyote hunting programs, mm-hmm. but like this bloodthirsty sport of just going out and, and killing it is what's banned. And I saw a horrible photo of like this barn and it was entirely covered on at least two sides. There were only two sides on the photo, but from the very top, basically anywhere you would see the wall of the barn or the outside of the barn was covered in dead hanging coyotes. 
And I'm, I'm happy to share that if anybody wants, just like DM us or email us or whatever, I will share that, but I'm not going to post it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to post that photo. It's fucking disgusting. It is. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've gone quite, we've gone long enough. I think, um, in part two, we're going to talk about myths and truths about coyotes. We're going to talk about human, pet, and livestock conflicts. Uh, we're going to go more into the eradication programs and the fact that this indiscriminate killing causes more issues and conflicts instead of less. Mm-hmm. And more ways that we can get involved. Sounds good. I'm excited for that. Um, email us, bearsandbrewspodcasts at gmail.com. We are Bears and Bruce Podcasts on all the meta platforms, so Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. And we're just Bears Bruce Pod on X because they have dumb <laughs> X. I know. Fuck <laughs> X for, for real. I think that's fair. I'm excited for it. And I'm excited to see. Actually, we're going to record it in person, I think. Are we? Together. Oh, in the same room. And it will maybe work this time. Yes, we'll make sure it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do some uh, We'll do some trials to make sure it, it works. So very excited for that. Me too. All right. Uh, thank you to Christian Mills for our kick-ass music. And we will talk to you guys later. Talk to you later.